Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Wow, what an incredible day. What is that stuff falling out there? I hear it. Rain? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, It has been amazing the last couple of weeks to see God answer our fervent prayers to send us rain. Amen. And it is our prayer that uh, he continue to send his rain in our hearts as well as on our land. Amen. Amen. I am um, curious this morning how well our church knows some of the famous fables of our past. So I'd like to ask you to do me a favor. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to to play along with a little fill-in-the-blank verbally, all right? I'm going to give you a, a phrase, and I'd like for you to finish that phrase, if you don't mind. I think most of you you understand and know what fables are, right? Uh, they're, they're fictional in nature, but they address very real dilemmas in our lives. Many of them use animals as characters to make points to children, I think, of all ages. But their purpose is to give advice about certain areas of weakness, about temptations in our life. I think you know what I'm talking about. Let's look at the first one. You remember this one, don't you? The tortoise and the... Okay. The next one? The three little pigs. Great. And the last one? The little boy who cried, very good. We love fables, don't we? The fable about the tortoise and the hare hits a weakness of mine. I am not a turtle plotter or a turtle planner. I tend to be like the rabbit. I put things off believing with just enough speed I can get that thing finished, all right? And sometimes I miss the deadline. And I may not lose the race, but I lose a little bit of integrity with those that I have those deadlines or due dates with. Now, that may not be a struggle for you. What you may struggle with is the little boy who cried wolf. Because with you, everything's a crisis. Now, usually they're not. But as big as you make them out to be sometimes, everything seems to be a crisis. And they're so often painfully exaggerated that when a real crisis comes along, it doesn't seem like many people come to your aid. Still, others of us would rather do our work a little half-heartedly rather than give our best like two of the three little pigs. And so when the fabled big bad wolf of life comes along and tests our projects and our reports and our relationships, he blows all of our efforts down. And we spend our lives running from job to job, from team to team, from marriage to marriage, looking for somebody to take us in. Fables, I think, are a great medium for good teachers to teach about life. I'm just not quite sure they're the key to giving us life. But if you like good old morality stories, and if you were reading along in Luke chapter 15 for the first time, you might think, wow, this is a dandy one. Especially if you have a son or a daughter who's been a little disrespectful lately. I mean, at 15, they've got life pretty much figured out. And and they're pretty convinced that they know more than you. And that's coming out of their mouth and coming out of their actions And it's been a little rough at the house lately. If you'd been in the crowd when Jesus started to tell the story of the lost son here in Luke 15, your ears would have picked up. And the last time that we were together, we talked a lot about this story, so I'm not going to every detail, but here's the rough overview. Once there was a dad who had two sons. The youngest decides his dad isn't dying fast enough, and he comes to him and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Now, since we've got a little bit of an older crowd left, since all of our Medina folks... Let's change that from a mom and her dad to a grandpa, all right? 
Let's say you're in a crowd. Jesus has started this story, and your grandson is the one who's um, being a little adolescent for the moment. And you know a good morality story when you hear it. And so you stop little Jedediah and say, Junior, we need to listen to this. And Jesus continues. And so the father gives his son the deed to his share of the property. And he gives him a bill of sale for the livestock. And the son took his inheritance, cashed it in at the nearby pawnbroker, and he went to the nearest border town, and he spent all that money on wine, women, and song. And when the money ran out, so did his friends. Now, about this time, Grandpa's nudging Jedediah and saying, Are you getting this? Get you some of this life, all right? Mm-hmm. And Jesus continues. And when the money ran out, so did the boy's friends. And finally, things got so bad, he's standing beside the entrance to Walmart with his sign, We'll work for food. And somebody picks him up and he takes him home to a farm of all places. To feed pigs of all things. Now, in Jesus' time, I think you know this, religiously and also physically, pigs were filthy to the Jews. So not only is he feeding pigs, but the food that he's feeding them starts to look good, Jesus says. And the boy one day gets so hungry feeding the pigs that he thinks, what in the world am I doing? He comes to his senses, the Bible says, and he says to himself, I may have burned the bridges to my father's house about being a son, but... I know his slaves live better than this. I'll go back and I'll, I'll, I'll ask to be one of his slaves. And I know my father well enough and he'll take me in. Jesus says, so he heads home. And his father sees him. And I, I think at this point, Grandpa's probably getting a little excited because he knows the rubber's about to meet the road here. This is where the hammer falls on the nail. The father sees him and he starts to run to him. Well, that's a little bit strange because old people don't run. Fathers don't run. I'm afraid Grandpa's about to be disappointed because his morality story is about to go south. Because it's not a morality story. It's a mercy story. The father runs to see him and he doesn't put his finger in his chest and say, get off my property. No, he embraces him. And he swallows him up with love and hugs and kisses and he smothers him. But I'm glad you're home. And when the son starts in with this prepared speech, he won't even let him get it out. He calls for the sermons to bring him fresh clothes and bring him some father's jewelry. And he alerts the cook, we're having a celebration tonight. My son that was lost is now home. Well, I wonder what grandpa's thinking about this. Well, the truth is grandpa's not here anymore. He's grabbed his grandson and he's headed for the market. Because he's a little sick and tired of this grace, grace, grace and more grace stuff coming from these religious teachers. What we need around here is some preaching about consequences. About being responsible for your choices. Whatever happened to you, reap what you sow. He's muttering to himself as he makes his way to the market. Well, the Pharisees who got the entire ball to this story going would have agreed with Grandpa. Because they're the ones who who asked this question. Jesus, why in the world are you hanging out with the obviously immoral people? Why are you hanging out with the obviously unethical people? Why are you hanging out with the obviously sinful people, the losers, so much of the time? The Pharisees would have said amen to Grandpa's thoughts. They wouldn't have appreciated this grace dribble either. However, the story wasn't over. Let's read it together, church. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. 
And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, what in the world's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and he's found. I wish grandpa would have stayed. Because he and his grandson both would have had a little clearer understanding of Jehovah's heart. And they would have heard from Jehovah's son. That what all of us really need is a good mercy story to live by. To help bring about good morals in our lives. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning grateful for this rain. Please protect our kids and our Medina parents and staff as they travel back. Please watch over them. Help them to get back safe. We miss them. Thank you so very much for them. Father, we realize you didn't end the story. And that we need to write it. This isn't the first time with this text for us. Many of us in this room struggle with elder brother-itis. And we pray that we write an ending with our lives. It speaks to you first and to others second. That we are lost without your mercy. And justice found without it as any prodigal in the world. Father, we realize that we're not the only ones who struggle with elder brother-itis. It, it fills all churches here in Kirk County. So we lift up Mount Olive Baptist along with us this morning asking, please help us all to get over ourselves so that your followers look more like Jesus than these snobby Pharisees. And that those followers fill this church literally all over this county with people who love to celebrate our foundness. And with anybody else, Father, whom you find along the way through your gospel. In Jesus' name and the church said. Amen. If you're visiting with us, we are in a series of lessons that uh, are helping us explore some of the amazing things our God has done. I think to give us more than just simple knowledge of what he did or simple history of what he was like, I think to show us what his character is like. And more than just a picture of what he did, I think it's showing us what he's doing. Now, I don't think the scripture has been very, very clear so far. God did what is the name of the series. And to answer that question, we have seen that God is a God who not only spoke, but he speaks. He's a God who rested and who would like for us to rest with him and in him. This is our third and final week in this great chapter of the Bible, Luke 15. And from this text here, we have seen that God is a God who loves to celebrate. He's a God who loves to run to those who have blown it. And I hope to see today that he is a God who searches even when we're the ones responsible for the distance. The other day I was sharing with Greg as we drove into San Antonio. For the longest time, I, I wondered why God didn't search in this last story. He tells three stories in Luke 15 that all have a very similar pattern. 
in the very first, the one for the guys, he says, I, there was this guy, a shepherd. What a coincidence, huh? Didn't plan that. But a shepherd who lost his sheep and he leaves the 99 and he goes, finds that, that lost sheep. And you see the pattern develop. Lost, searches, finds, and has a celebration when he does. Same scenarios in the second, but this is a story for the gals. A woman loses an expensive coin from tin that were probably her, her wedding necklace. She searches all over the house for it, and when she finds it, here comes the pattern again. She finds it, celebrates, and everybody's happy. Then we come to the third story, and there is somebody who is lost. It's the younger son. We know he's the lost one because twice in this parable, the Bible says, My son was lost and is now found. He says it twice. And then there's a celebration. But the main character of the story, did you notice in the third parable, doesn't search for anything. He stays home. What is up with that? Why the departure from the lost, search, find, celebrate? Lost, search, find, celebrate. It was in the first two what happens in the third. And then I saw it. The searching doesn't come until later into the story. Maybe you've seen this before and this is just repetitive to you, but I saw it just this last week. The one who is searched for isn't the younger brother. It's the elder brother. And maybe, just maybe, he's more lost of either son. We know the younger brother has already disgraced the father. We get that. But in this text this morning, we see it's the elder brother's turn. You say, well, Jimmy, what do you mean? Well, you saw it. He finishes his day's work in the field and he comes to the house and he hears this great celebration going on, music and dancing. And he asks one of his servants, what in the world's up? And he tells him the good news. Your brother's home. He's safe and sound and your father's killed a fatted calf. And we're having a party. And the older brother is thrilled. No. He's furious. Ah. The point of Jesus' story. This elder brother's not about to give his approval to irresponsibility, so he's refusing to go in. Now, you don't have to be a theologian to know that's rude. When your dad's hosting a party and you're on the premises to stay outside, that's rude in the Greek, it's rude in the Latin, it's rude in the English, it's rude 2,000 years ago, it'd be rude today. Am I right? It's rude. But the elder brother doesn't go far. I've been around enough elder brothers to know they never go far. He's outside, but not completely out of eyesight because he wants to make sure his dad and the guest and all the servants can take note. He is not about to get caught cavorting with the rebel. He has not gone completely because to do so would mean to lose his leverage. Elder brothers always make sure we know who they are and where they are because they never want to lose their leverage. Now, I need to stop for a moment and say this. I know how the elder brother feels. I was one. And at times, I are one. I understand Grandpa's consternation. What in the world this father is doing, Grandpa would say, is portraying weakness. And softness, maybe even spinelessness. I mean, how do you teach morality from this story? What kind of an example are we trying to set for those who are careless and reckless with other people's lives and money? 
Letting this rebel return home without suffering any consequences? Why, every kid in the family is going to be asking for their allowance. And knowing that if they blow it, sure, dad will take you back in and throw a party to boot. I've had those elder brother thoughts. Have you? I've understood the elder brother's rationale and I've also understood the elder brother's rage. I think all of us, when we've seen our dads spend thousands of dollars on rehabs and another car and more rent and more money and more groceries, not to mention the time and the energy worrying over and fussing over little Miss Rebel instead of praising you or at least just appreciating you. There's none of that left. There's none of them left. Mr. Irresponsibility has used up every parental resource that they have. I get the older brother's consternation in the face of dad's compassion here. But here's the deal. I know this about the older brother. Because again, I can be one. He is not anti-dad's compassion. He loves that about him. And at his core, at the foundation of what he thinks about his dad, he doesn't want him to change. He does not want a dad who's bigger on justice than he is on mercy. None of us do. Because we all know that the only hope we have is hell, if that's true, of our Heavenly Father. Amen? If we have a Heavenly Father who is bigger on justice than on mercy, our only hope is hell. But that's not our Heavenly Father. We all, while we were still weak, Know that in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, at just the right time, Christ died for the lost prodigals. While we were sinners, Christ died for us, the Bible says. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. In John 3, 17, we love this verse. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Thank you, God, that condemnation is not what we see when we look into your eyes. Ephesians 2 and verse 6. But by this great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that we have been saved. You bet we're glad that our God is bigger on mercy than He is on justice. Because we are thrilled that we get what we needed, not what we deserve when we face the cross. It's just that when we spend so much time looking at other people and their faults, that we tend to forget the cross. We'll come back to that in a minute. We see what other people deserve more than what they need. And we tend to talk love, tough love, more than we do compassionate love. Now, if the elder brother loved justice more than mercy, can I tell you what he should have received? You may have heard something like this. You ungrateful, stubborn, disrespectful little toot. You knew I was throwing a celebration for your brother, and you decided to have your own little pity party outside. So I'm here to tell you, you suck in that lip, and you get in there and fill that plate with some of that fatted calf, and you will dance with your mother. And you will put a smile on your face as if you like it. Do you get it? If father was bigger on justice than he was mercy, that's the speech he would have heard from dad. That's what he deserves. Arrogant little toot. But that's not what he needs. And that's not what the father does. When he loses any son to rebellion, rebellion 
of mishandling money and choices and relationships, rebellion of self-righteousness. It didn't matter. He searches. Now, most gods from antiquity and most gods even today expect you to come to them. We, this story tells us, serve a God who comes to us. Isn't that crazy? Almost every God that's ever existed expects us to come to them. We serve a God. We serve a Father. Jesus comes to show us who He is, and He is a God who comes by virtue of Jesus to us. And here's what the Father really does say. Come on, son. Join the party. We had to celebrate. Your brother was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. That's what he actually said. But you know that. And I'd like to believe the older brother went in. But he didn't write that in the story. He leaves it open-ended. I'd like to think that the older brother went in, not because of his heart, but because of his father's heart. When it comes to fathers, let's just be honest. We have one who's a little abnormal. He is. He's extraordinary in some good ways. We call him Abba, but we do so in part because he's abnormal. I thought more of you would think that that was cute. <laughs> he is. Our father's abnormal, and I love it. From Genesis to the maps, this story over and over shows us that he blesses us and he provides for us and he delivers us, even fights for us. But what often he gets from, our, from his kids is rebellion and ungratefulness. And yes, he is a God who has standards. And yes, he is a father who has expectations. And yes, he even has a few commandments. And when his kids don't live up to him, which were for their best interest anyways, he allows them to experience painful consequences and sometimes painfully disciplines them. That's what a good father does. But if you think he enjoys that or that he lives for that, you've got to read this story. He isn't the great referee in the sky. He isn't the great cosmic cop in the sky. He isn't even the great judge in the sky. Jesus wants us to remember above all, he is the great father in the sky who will not settle for being the father in the sky. He wants to be the father in your heart and in your life. Now, this may not sound like any father you know of. I told you he's abnormal. And the truth of it is, some of us has only known the other kind of father and seem to have any mercy in them at all. That's why you need to know this one. That's why Jesus came. And here's the kicker. Church, we've been sent by Jesus to portray an accurate picture of this abnormal dad to the world. And my question for the morning is this. Everybody listen up. How are you doing with that? How clear of a picture of this abnormal love are you portraying to the world? If all that they knew about the Father was what they know about you and the way that you love, what would they know? See, I'm finding that prodigals 
aren't unaware that they're lost. And most of them want some help. It's just that many churches are full of older brothers who are standing in the way of them getting any. And they can't help but feel a sense that they're not welcome. And in many places, they're not. Prodigals have two fights on their hands. Number one, they've got to break away from the crowd. And number two, they've got to get through the church sometimes to get home. The crowd's tough enough. Breaking away from sometimes addictive, familiar habits and friends, regardless of how damaging they are, admitting that you've made a mess of things, not blaming, not avoiding, not passing it off, but fessing up, that's tough. Everybody say amen. That's tough. And then to try to follow and trust an invisible Jesus. And you walk into one of his very visible churches. And you've got to get past a very visible, haughty, arrogant, holier-than-thou older brother and be treated as if he really wished you weren't there. That you're bothering him. That is brutal on prodigals. Why would they want to come to that? Fact, they're not. And it shoots the, the mission of Jesus absolutely in the foot. Because he came to seek and save those who were lost. And it's not right. And it's not God. I came here to Kerrville. Because I believe the Kerrville Church of Christ, KCC, has a desire to be a place where anybody from any background can come and experience what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I am thrilled to be on mission with you. And to become a fellowship of followers who are trying to offer hope to anyone and everyone who's made a mess out of their lives. That's why I came here. And maybe, just maybe, maybe that the reason why God had a fourth of our church lead this morning is so that I could talk a little bit maybe more freely about this incredible ministry that we have that most churches in the world don't get. They have to come to us. It's in their bylaws. And if they walk in this door and they meet one of you elder brothers who's bothered by them being here, shame on you. And you will have to deal with me if I see it. And I hope that you come deal with me if you see it in me. He sent us to take care of the broken. And this is not easy. And I love this about our shepherds. When I came and interviewed with them, they told me more about the mistakes that they've made than all the pride that they had because they were helping the Medina's children's home. They found out from the get-go, this is not easy. And it's not. But church, we've got to be honest with ourselves. And we've got to help each other be honest with ourselves. On occasion, sometimes... You're going to hear a sister sound a little bit like she's got elder brother-itis, if that's possible. And you're going to need to help her. Probably pray for her first before you try to help her. But you're going to need to help her. You say, well, Jimmy, what are the symptoms? I knew you wouldn't ask, so I'm asking. <laughs> Years ago, Jeff Foxworthy came on the scene to help us figure out what a redneck was. Maybe Lou can help us figure out if we're suffering from elder brother-itis. But don't you remember some of these classics from Foxworthy? 
If an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger changed your life, you might be a redneck. If you've ever used your ironing board for a buffet table, you might be a redneck. If your daughter's Barbie dream house has a clothesline in the front yard, you might be a redneck. If you've ever been accused of lying through your tooth, you might be a redneck. And my all-time favorite, if you have a complete set of salad bowls and they all say cool whip on them, you might be a redneck. Love those. Well, what about Elder Brother-itis? Well, the truth is I'm not that great a comedian. I can tell some stories. And the truth is what comes out of Luke 15 may not make you laugh. But it may make you think. And it may make us change. If you're convinced that God would enjoy himself more at a funeral than he would a good party, you may suffer from Elder Brother-itis. If you think your cold absence teaches the loss more than your warm, loving presence, you may suffer from elder brotheritis. If you think being a Christian resembles a dutiful servant more than a devoted child, you might suffer from being elder brotheritis filled. If you expect the lost to find their way to the church quicker than you finding your way to their house, you might be suffering from elder brotheritis. And if this chapter in Luke 15 fills you more with fury than it does mercy, you might be suffering from elder brotheritis and be a redneck. <laughs> Jesus had his hands full trying to convince his church that God really did come. To search for the lost. He made it his aim to leave the comfortable in search for the lost. And he went so far as to lose his life in search for the lost. It's because he's a God who searches. And when he finds, he celebrates. Thanks for celebrating with Jessica. We can still do better than that. But he celebrates. You have his word on it. Now, that may sound like a fable. That may sound like some kind of fairy tale. But it is so much more than that. It is a story. It's his story. And here's the good part. It's true. It's true. Our God searches. He doesn't just cross his arms and wait for you to figure out. No one comes to the Father unless he draws you. He left heaven and earth to come down here and get in it with you. To extend his hand to you, to save you from you. Not a fable. Not a morality story. It's a mercy story. And Jesus shows us some things are worth dying for. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning grateful on this Memorial Day weekend pledging to remember a God who left the comfortableness like our soldiers have left the comfortableness of this country and went to fight for us. 
And through his death, Father, secured for us freedoms we could never imagine possible. Not from these sins. Not from these mistakes. Father, help us to take a hard-to-believe grace like that to the world. And especially when you bring them to us, God, help us embrace them. Not be impatient with them. Please help those of us today who are struggling with some elder brother-itis to be healed. We ask it for the church the world over. And everyone said, amen. What do you do with this? One point. The next time you get cross with a prodigal, the next time you get cross with someone who's lost, remember the cross, okay? Remember the cross. That's not my advice, it's Peter's. Listen to the word. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have any of these is nearsighted and they're blind. Ah, They have forgotten that they've been cleansed from their sins. I tend to be able to offer mercy quicker when I realize I so desperately need it. You too? And if you need some of it this morning, let Jessica be the first of many. We'd love to see you die to trying to make it your own way and come get in some of this grace. Where God removes your sins as far as the east from the west. Not because you're performing better, but because he got it right at the cross. You're just trusting him to handle it for you. We'll see you baptized in the Christ if you believe that. And if you're here this morning, I'm going to ask for another audible. Sorry, Russ. Could we change our invitation song to On Bended Knee I Come? And you know what? We do have some room up here. And if you need to come up here this morning and on bended knee, say, Father, I, I've forgotten I need you. I've forgotten what it means to get in the dirt with people who are lost. And I'm sorry. If this is a place you need to come, please come. You may not be the last one who comes. God help us. Be merciful. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing.